Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 51. And it says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Now keep that in mind. My eye affects my heart. Um, Now Luke chapter number 9 and verse 57 says, but he turned, I'm sorry, and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, And that's all I'm going to read. Now remember what Lamentation said, My eye affects my heart. Uh, how many of you have, have ever plowed with mules? Anybody in here ever done that? I figured there were a few. Uh, I've not. Um, but I have been on a tractor different times. And, um, and the same way when you're learning to drive a vehicle or four-wheeler or bicycle anything, whatever you're looking at is the direction that you're going to go. Uh, and so if you're first learning to drive, you need to bear that in mind uh, because if you look out your side window to wave at a friend, you're going to veer that way. Uh, and so it's the same with plowing a field. Uh, and I would imagine, having never done it, I would imagine it would be the same behind a mule uh, that you had to keep your eyes. Uh, you see, if here's the thing about plowing. And I'm going to try to teach you about keep your hand to the plow. Uh, And so uh, the thing about plowing in a field is if you make one row crooked, uh, then you have to, by by force, you have to make every row crooked so it'll match because you have to be able to get in between those rows and cultivate the weeds. And and so weeds are going to spring up in your crop and and you have to be able to get in those rows. and, And in order to do that, they have to be straight. And if they're not straight, you've got a mess. And come in time to uh, come in time to cultivate and to weed the garden or weed the, uh, the field. Uh, you're going to have trouble, and so it is with the work of the Lord. Uh, so it is that we must keep our eyes on Him. Uh, that if our eye affects our heart, uh, then whatever that we're looking at with desire is going to affect the way that we live. And so, uh, so uh, Jesus was telling the people here. You can go back. I think about eleven verses. It's not very far. It's in that same chapter of Luke, chapter number nine, uh, and it says that Jesus steadfastly, um, uh, steadfastly made his way to Jerusalem. In other words, he had just been transfigured on the mountain of transfiguration. He had just met with uh, with Moses and Elijah. They come down, and the scripture says, as they were there on top of the mountain, 
and the Lord was speaking with Moses and speaking with Elijah. It said He was speaking to them about His departure. And that word that they used there was actually Exodus. And so just as Moses led the, uh, led the children of Israel on an exodus out of Egypt, uh, our Lord was on the top of a mountain speaking to that same Moses and Elijah, and he was speaking about an exodus from this world. And so he steadfastly made up his mind and set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he had his hand to that plow uh, from the time that he was born of the virgin. He was steadfastly set in his mind uh, to go to Jerusalem and to be crucified by the hands of sinful men. And so it is with us that we need to steadfastly make up our mind. There are so many that are in the churches today that uh, that they have one hand to the plow and they have one hand to the things in this land. And that is a dangerous place to be. Uh, can I say to you this morning, if that's you, and at certain times that has been me, uh, where the world creeps into your sight and you take your eyes, at least one of them, and you try to hold the plow with one hand, uh, but as soon as you look away from the Lord and His church, you begin to get in trouble. Uh, you begin to make crooked roads. Uh, you begin to veer or turn. Uh, it starts out maybe ever so slightly, uh, but the longer that you keep your eyes that direction, uh, the more off the straight and narrow path you will go. And so it seems like a hard thing that the Lord just said. Uh, he was trying to get the people to understand uh, that, uh, that He wanted them all to be saved and born again. Uh, but in order to do that, uh, he wanted them to be sure that they counted the cost. Uh, there will be a cost. Uh, you cannot serve God uh, without costing you. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, he made the statement at one place that whosoever loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He made a statement in another place that, uh, that if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. Uh, but if you lose your life for the gospel's sake, that the same shall save it. And so there must be a cost. And so the problem is today that many don't want to pay that cost. And so they're sort of caught uh, in, in, in no man's land, if you will. They, uh, they are too, uh, too churchy to enjoy the things of this life and the world of sin. Uh, but they are too sinful to enjoy the things that be of God. And so they're just stuck. Uh, and I'm afraid there are a great many of my hearers uh, that come in Sunday after Sunday in that case. And we need to look at what God says about those who hold between two opinions or between those that linger. I would have you and I realize today as I look around and see your faces that some of you are paying very close attention to what I'm saying. And there are others of you that, that, that really have no idea. You're not, you're not even paying attention. Let me say this to you. This concerns your soul. If I were to tell you you eternity hung upon this very hour uh, that would not be hyperbole uh, that would not be exaggerating one bit uh, for it does hang upon this very hour eternity uh, you see uh, I've, I've said to you before that uh, that uh, that in the Old Testament uh, God uh, it's a parable that God had a counsel and asked his angels opinions but if we take that uh, I would say that Satan is probably uh, had a council at least in a parable
terrible form uh, with his. Uh, and he would say to his, his servants that how uh, can we go about to deceive? Many are being saved and being born again and we need to squash that out. Uh, and so if one were to come and say to Satan uh, that I'll just start saying there's nothing to that, uh, that eternity's a lie, that you live and you die and then it's all over, uh, I believe Satan would say you can't do that uh, because men will not believe that uh, because they've witnessed too many places uh, and times that men have changed and conformed to the gospel. They will not believe that. If one said I will just uh, try to invalidate the Word of God, that it's not uh, the authentic Word of the living God, uh, then Satan would say you can't do that uh, because again people down through time uh, have been uh, have been changed by what thus saith the book. And so uh, maybe there was one that came by uh, that had the right idea. And I truly think this is the tactic uh, that Satan uses more so than anything else. Uh, he came and he said unto Satan, uh, I will not say that there is not a God. I will not say that there's not an eternity. I will not say that the Bible isn't the Word of God. Uh, for men know that and men believe that. Uh, you sit here today and you yourself know uh, that you're going to live forever uh, either in eternal bliss or in agony and in torments. Uh, and you know that. Uh, but still you sit there. And so what lie does Satan use? What tactic does he use? Probably more than any other. And that is the tactic that all of that is true. Uh, but you still have time to make things right. And I believe that's what he employs. And I believe many souls have been dragged down to the pits of hell because of that tactic. So it's not hyperbole if I were to tell you that in a million years from now, you're still going to be alive. Your soul will never cease to be. Once God has formed a soul, that soul will live forever. It's either going to go back and live in the presence of God in the Holy holy angels or it's going to go down into the pits of hell fire and damnation where in a million years the smoke of their torment will still be ascending up forever and ever and ever and they have no rest day or night. That is strong language. And so it seems strong when Jesus is calling men out of this world to follow Him and they say Lord I'll follow you wherever that you go I'll follow you and he says very well but just so you know even the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has not where to lay his head in other words if you choose to follow me you're going to do it and there's going to be a cost to it you're going to do it and men are going to hate you you're going to do it and you may be homeless you're going to do it and so he wanted them to understand you have to count that cost and then one said Lord I'll follow you and another said I'll follow you and he said follow me and then one said let me first he said I will follow you but let me go and bid them farewell in my house and Jesus looked at that man and he said no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom now why did he say that that seems like a hard thing uh, but I would counsel you today it is absolutely 100% true I believe those who have been born again will endure to the very end I don't think there's anywhere else for me and you to go I don't think there's any path that we can choose uh, once we've been saved and born again I believe 
we will endure to the end. And this man, the Lord knew his heart. I believe this man probably meant I will follow you, but first let me go and raise my children. First let me go home and take care of that aspect of my life. I don't believe he just went to go. And why do you say that? It's because the very same conversation is found in the book of Kings. In the first Kings, uh, somewhere around the 18th or 19th chapter, a man by the name of Elijah the prophet uh, has just been sent by God. He's just told God, I'm the only one left and I don't have any man to help me. And God said, I'll send you somebody. And Elijah was sent by the Spirit of God to a man by the name of Elisha. And he found Elisha plowing his field. Uh, Behind the oxen, he had his hand to the plow. And the Bible says Elisha took off his mantle, cast it onto Elisha, and he said, follow me. And Elisha said, Master, I will follow you wherever you go, whatever you say, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. But he said, first let me go and kiss my mom and my dad, and I'll come right back. And Elisha said, go. What have I done to you? And Elijah knew Elisha's heart, and Elisha did exactly that. He went home, told his mom and dad bye. He came back to where the man of God was and he slew those oxen and he burned that plow. And now let me ask you this. uh, He was willing. That's how he made his life. uh, uh, His whole livelihood uh, was engaged. If he didn't plow that field, he'd have no crops to eat. He'd have none to sell. Uh, So you might say he was going to live and die by that plow. So let me so let me ask you this. I believe that the, I believe that salvation by grace completely transforms a man to everything he was not, but now he is. Elisha took that same plow that he made his livelihood with, that he made his living on, and he burned it to cinder, and he burned it to ash, as if to say, how the old life is something that I'm quite willing to walk away from. That's the problem today. Many are not willing to leave that old life. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what sin is there in this land that's worth dying and lost and enduring hellfire forever? If you find one, uh, my counsel to you, I uh, would be enjoy it while you have time. Uh, because the day is approaching uh, your time is going to be no more. And what you do in this life What you do while you're here bears record with you forever and ever and ever. And so the dangers that we look at uh, what did our Lord say uh, in Luke? I think it's chapter seventeen, somewhere around there. Uh, he said this. He, he was he was counseling his church uh, on the signs of the times, things to look for uh, before he would come back. And we find he said a lot of things. But there's one very solemn warning, and he said just three words, and it was one very solemn warning in three words, and he said, remember Lot's wife. That's all. Just remember Lot's wife. Uh, He didn't say remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't say remember Sarah, Rachel, and Rebecca, uh, the wives of those. Uh, Peter tells us in his his epistle that Lot was a righteous man. Uh, So so you see, uh, when and we all know that story. Let me just go back a little ways. 
I'm going to try to take my time. God had told Abraham. Abraham had raised his nephew Lot. And so the time came that they they grew and their families grew and their herds grew and their cattle grew and there was a strife between Lot and his herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen and Abraham said, we're going to have to separate. Lot, I love you. But he said, we can't live like this. And so you just go your way, whatever way you choose and I'll go the opposite way. And the Bible said, Lot lifted up his eyes towards Sodom. And he saw that it was well watered. The plains of Sodom was well watered. I believe at this time he probably already had a wife. It doesn't really say, but that's my assumption. Because he says later on that they already had children that were old enough to marry. So by saying that, and by thinking that, you know what, what Jesus is saying? Remember Lot's wife? Lot's wife, who was never mentioned by name other than Lot's wife, uh, she, had, uh, she, had, uh, she had privileges that most on earth at that time did not have. She had the privilege of being dear to the one who was dear unto God. She had the privilege of being the wife of a righteous man. She had the privilege of living in tents with Abraham. And she had She had privileges of being in tents with Abraham and with Lot. And you see, their religion wasn't a sham. It was their way of life. God had called them out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He had called them out of this filthy land. And He had made them abide in tents and not go mingle themselves into the cities, but to be a separate people. And she had that privilege. Uh, she, she was around men of God. And, and even being around all of that, you know what the Bible says? Uh, that the closer Lot, he just kept every day pitching his tent towards Sodom. And every day he got a little bit closer. And see, that's the problem with sin. It'll draw you, uh, not all at once, but just a little bit at a time. Uh, your hand will be to that plow, and one little thing will cause you to look away. And it entices you. Uh, men from their own lust are enticed by sin. Uh, we're not enticed by God. It's because of our own fleshly lust. Sin entices us. But it'll take you farther than you ever thought it would. It'll take you down to the very pit if you allow that. And so day by day he would pitch his tent closer to Sodom. And so he knew exactly what Sodom was. I don't believe he went into that place not understanding the filthy, vile things that they did. I believe the men of Sodom had a very profound reputation. I believe Abraham knew what Sodom was. And I certainly believe Lot knew what Sodom was. And maybe it was his wife that said we could raise children in a city. They could, they could have a better life than the life of tents. Listen to me, mamas and daddies. I know you want to give your children more than you have. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is part of the American dream. To give your children more than we have. And I have no problem with that. But let me tell you this. You better caution them to live the separated life. You better caution them that things that are pleasing to the eyes aren't always good for your soul. And so Abraham... And Lot, they knew exactly what Sodom was. And maybe it was Lot's wife that said we could raise their kids. Think of the future they could have. Do you just want them to dwell in tents forever? Let me caution you on this. Be careful who you marry. You better be. You better be careful who you marry. 
She had every privilege. She, she had knowledge that the world had not knowledge of because she knew a man of God. Not just a man of God, the father of the faithful. I mean, can you imagine growing up and being married to the nephew of the friend of God, the one whom, whom God looked down and said, Abraham, because of your great faith, I'm going to make a nation out of you that will last from here into eternity. She had privilege. And still she went towards Sodom. She had privilege and still she made up her mind. You that have been raised under the sound of the gospel, you have had privileges that many your age do not have. And you remain lost and separate. You're squandering every privilege. You realize there's going to come a day you stand before God And you know what? What if God says to you, I gave you a good mama. I gave you a good daddy. I saw that they took you to the house of God. I made sure they raised you in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I made sure you were under the sound of a sound gospel man of God. I made sure and pricked your heart. I gave you every opportunity. I gave you privileges that those across the world never had and you turned it all away. Can you imagine that she went towards Sodom? And remember, remember, whatever my eye sees, it affects my heart. And so they saw Sodom, and boy, it affected them. It affected everything about them. Now, Lot was a righteous man. But you know what happened, and I need to hurry. Lot was a righteous man. God sent him warning even in Sodom. Kings came in, and they took Lot captive. Kings came in, foreigners had invaded Sodom, and they took that city captive, and they carried Lot off. And I believe they carried his wife off too. And they carried lots of men and women off. And Abraham uh, armed his shield, uh, and armed his sword, uh, and girt his sword on his thigh, and told his men and his soldiers, we've got to go save my nephew. got to go save Lot. Now Abraham had already knew what Lot had got himself into. Why do I say that? It's because Abraham was talking with God about his heir. And he said, my heir is the son of my servant Eleazar. In other words, he had given up on Lot. And Lot had made his choice. And Abraham, instead of giving Lot and making Lot his heir, he had already moved on. But he said, he is still my family. We've got to go save him. So Abraham and his men went. And that band of men took to run. I believe it was four or five different kings. And it's called the slaughter of the kings. And Abraham came back. And he brought Lot back. Now anybody with half a brain would have thought to themselves, boy, we barely escaped that. I would have said to my wife, we need to get up out of this place. I know we thought it would be good for our children, but look at what's happening to our children. Let me ask you this, Lafayette. Look at what is happening to our children in this land. We better flee out of here spiritually. We better be packing up. I'm saying those tents look mighty good. I'm saying that separated life, yes, there is a cost to it, but there's a reward to it. Anybody with half a brain 
would have Lot would have said to his wife, "Now we we barely got out of that alive, and God has been so good to us that Uncle Abraham came, that faithful man of God came. Wouldn't that make you want to turn your life around? But there's been some of you, no doubt, under the sound of my voice, God has spared in different aspects of life, and you still will not repent. That's on you." When God has given you every opportunity, they had privilege. But it didn't affect them. Even after Abraham delivered them, they went right back into that life. How sad. How sad it is that God has made a way of escape. And some of you just go right back. Now, I'm going to get to his wife. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. What does that mean? The Bible says that God sent angels down to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, the cry of Sodom is great. And he said, it's come up before my throne. And he said, I'm going to go down and see all together the cry of it. I'm going to go down into Sodom. And I'm going to see how bad it really is. He knew all along. But he told Abraham, He said, I'm not going to hide from my servant the thing that I'm going to do. God doesn't hide from His church the things that's going to take place. He's given them to us in His book. Abraham blew. He knew God to be a man of His Word. And so Abraham began to intervene for Lot. Oh, my nephew's there. Lord, would you spare that city? I mean, if there was any inkling of love about us uh, to our lost children, uh, we would be on our knees day after day pleading and begging God uh, to spare our children from the destruction that we know without a doubt is coming upon this land. We know that to be true. But remember, mine eye affects my heart. Is your eye on these lost children? Their eyes aren't even upon the truth. Satan has them so blinded. Let me ask you this, sinner friend. Do you think you will be better off? I've been here four and a half years. I'm not making fun of you. I'm not talking about you. I want you to be saved. Some of you have been on the altar since I've been here and before. And some of you have stopped coming altogether. Are you going to be better off next year at this time? If God spares your life, tomorrow will you be more fit to be saved than you are today? I don't think so. I think the longer you put it off, the harder your heart gets. I think that it's like a sponge it just absorbs. And the drip, 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 drip of this world is filling you up and it's turning you into a stone. So Abraham began to intervene. It would do us good to begin to intervene. Abraham believed God. So those angels went down. They went into Sodom. Lot saw them coming. Lot was a prominent man in Sodom. Lot had rose in the ranks of the world. And he sat at the gate. That was a place of power. Some men have traded the gospel plow for power in this life. And so Lot, Lot sat at the gate. He saw those men coming. He knew exactly what the men of Sodom was going to do. 
And he told those angels, which he didn't know were angels at the time, he said, you need to come home with me. You need to come under my roof. And the men said, no, we'll abide in the street. And Lot pressed upon them. And they came into his house. And later that night, <clears throat> the Scripture says, the men of Sodom compassed the house of Lot. They knew that's where those angels went. And they began to plead with Lot, send those men out to us that we may know them carnally. Well, what does that mean? Uh, they were going to rape those men, commit acts of an abomination, what the world sees nothing wrong with today, uh, the sin uh, of sodomy, homosexuality, whatever you want to call it, they were going to rape those men. And Lot said, I beg you, don't do that. They came under my roof. He said, I've got two daughters. They've never known a man. I do believe they were engaged because Lot says he has sons-in-laws. But he said, take them. They didn't want them. Do you realize our world and our culture today is every bit as vile as that was in Sodom? Do you realize that even though we have the light of the Gospel, we know the damnation that comes upon a nation or upon a city or upon a people that partake of the acts of sexual immorality is so prevalent and that all began, you know when? Satan is so smart. He first devalued what marriage means. Once he did that, then everything else comes in. He breaks apart the nuclear family. That's what he does. So Sodom was there. Those men went into the house with Lot. <clears throat> and the Bible says <clears throat> the people, uh, the, the, the angels blinded the men outside so they couldn't find the door. And I'm about to lose my voice. But here he said, God, the angel said unto Lot, you've got to get out of here. He said, do you have anybody else in this place? Do you have sons-in-laws, daughters, wives, whatever you got? If they want to live, they have to get out of here. And you know what the Bible said? He lingered. That's what it says. He lingered. He lingered. Now, if you absolutely believe the Word of God, why would you linger? If you've got men of God come down to you and said this place is about to be destroyed, you must get out of here. Yet He lingered. Now I'm going to tell you something. You that are halting between two opinions. You that have not been... You realize you're hurting not just you. You're hurting everybody around you. Can you prove that? I believe I can. If you as mamas and daddies don't make the house of God a priority, you are doing damage to your children. Lot lingered. I believe if Lot had hastened, his family would have hastened. They would have saw the seriousness. Daddy believes it. We've got to get out of here. But he lingered. And because he lingered, they lingered. He was putting them in danger by not following the Spirit of the Lord. You realize that? We were talking in Sunday school. Follow the Spirit. He will not lead you wrong. I don't care what men say. I don't care what anybody else says. Follow the Spirit. And so he lingered. 
He waited all night. The next morning, those angels grabbed a hold of him and they grabbed a hold of his wife. And they said, we've got to get out of here. I'm glad one night the Spirit laid hold upon me. Told me I needed to flee from wrath that was about to come. I'm glad the Spirit of God can get a hold of a sinner and tell them wrath and destruction is falling and if you want to live, you must come out and be separate. They left. The angel says, we've got a place that we're taking you. And Lot said, no, I can't make it that far. He said, there's a little city here. Let's enter into that. Now keep in mind, I'm talking about privilege. Lot's wife had privilege. She knew the man of God. She had witnessed the works of God. She had been spared by God. Angels had laid hold upon her. Told her to get out. Literally pushed her out of the city. She got to the very brink of Zoar. You know what she did? She looked back. Now the command was, don't look back. Don't look back. Once you leave, the Bible says we would have had opportunity to return. But see, if you've been saved, what are you going to return to? There's nothing there. Even though she had all the privilege, she refused to believe what God said. Because she looked back. Because her heart was in Sodom. The sham of religion she had thrown about her all of her life was just a pacify lot. She had no true feelings toward God. She looked back. When she looked back, she betrayed who she really was. She wasn't separate. She looked back at Sodom. Her heart was still there. How sad it would be to have all the privilege to get to the very gate. She had escaped Sodom. She had made it out and got all the way to Zoar. And those angels said, we cannot do anything until you come out. And as soon as they come out and stepped into Zoar, fire began to fall. She got all the way to the gate of Zoar and looked back and became a pillar of salt. How sad to have privilege to know the truth to be surrounded by this great cloud of witness and get all the way to the gate of heaven and be shut out. That's what happened to her. She made it all the way to the end of the road. She was almost saved, but she was lost. Almost saved, but not quite. Some of you are almost saved, but not quite. Some of you have started coming out. You've started making that journey out of Sodom. But your heart is still in this world. You will not be fit for the kingdom of God if you turn loose of the plow. And she turned loose. 
She was out. She was on the brink of eternity. She was on the brink of salvation. And at the last minute, she turned and looked back. It's a solemn thing to remember Lot's wife. How sad would it be to be raised by a mom and a daddy who love you, take you to church, Make sure you have every available thing at your disposal. Make sure you have your meals, your food, your roof. Make sure you have everything that you need. Make sure that they have instructed you on how to be saved. And you get home, you get out of corruption. You come away from sin. You come away from the alcohol. You come away from the drugs. You come away from this life. You start to separate yourself. But you never surrender fully. And in that day, there's going to be a separation. Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be at home in the bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be walking down the street. One will be taken and the other left. Just like it was, Lot and his wife were walking side by side. And then just as they were crossing the threshold into the land of safety, she looked underneath his arm and she looked back and he had to go on without her. And mom and daddy will go on into eternity without you because you were almost saved. You were almost out. You were almost a safety. And then you turn back. If eternity hangs on this very hour and this very moment, I would urge you keep your hand to the plow. Church, Next year, next year if we're still here, this church will be here 175 years. We're going to try to come up with something special. 175 years of preaching the gospel. What's happened to our sister church down the road in the last few months? If you think that can't happen here, you're wrong. We must keep our hand to the plow. I hope if the world is still here in 175 more years, the gospel is still going forth from this place. And it will be if we hang on to the plow but turn loose, look away just one time and it won't just hurt you. Your grandkids will still be dealing with this mess at Antioch. You turn loose of the plow. You're hindering generations. Keep your hand to the plow. That's what I got. Come ahead and get a song.